left fielders. Welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. Our community is focused on networking and education to help people invest passively and think differently. Let's go. What I found myself doing, and I think people do, I got a book on flipping. I got a book on rentals. I got a book on wholesaling, right? Pretty soon, I'm trying to learn every aspect of real estate and you can't learn anything really effectively that way. You kind of focus, pick something, laser focus on it, nail it, and scale it. Since you are here listening to this podcast, there's a good chance you're investing with a group of people. Whether you're investing with family or friends or like-minded people in the left field investors community, group investing is a strategy that can get you into more deals, help you diversify, and go beyond what you can achieve by yourself. Before TribeVest came along, it was difficult to overcome all the hurdles associated with group investing. It was basically a strategy reserved for the wealthy. Not anymore. Now, TribeVest helps your group with everything from incorporation, collaboration, banking, and equity management tools all in a single place. So you can focus on building wealth with the people you know, like, and trust. I'm using TribeVest for all five, now six, of my investor tribes. It's a game changer. Check them out at tribevest.com. You are listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast, powered by TribeVest. The mission of Left Field Investors is to build a community of like-minded individuals interested in creating financial freedom through passively investing in real assets that generate real cash flow. In this podcast, Jim Piper will interview passive investors, syndicators, and others who will share their journey with a focus on helping the passive real estate investor learn and become part of the Left Field community. This is Jeremy Roll, and you're listening to the Pass Investing from Left Field podcast. I am really excited today to have Mike Simmons with me. He is a speaker, coach, and the founder of Seven Figure Investor, one of the country's largest real estate mentorship and mastermind companies. He's also the host of Just Start Real Estate, a podcast, and he's the author of Level Jumping, a book about how he grew his business quickly to over $1 million in profits. There's a lot of stuff Mike specializes in as a coach and speaker, so I think we're going to get great value from this. Mike, welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'm excited to be here. Can't wait for the talk. This is going to be fun. Yeah, I totally agree. And the first thing I'd like to do is just kind of hear your journey. How did you figure out finance and real estate is what you want to do? I know you had a job that you weren't satisfied with, and so you went looking for something different. You found real estate, and then presumably you found coaching and entrepreneurship. So I'd just like to kind of hear your journey. How did you get into all that, and how did you get to where you are today? Sure. You mentioned I had a job that I didn't like. That puts me in the category with about 95% of America, right? So nothing unique there. And also, I'm not really unique in the fact that I decided I wanted out and I wanted to do something different or find a way to kind of take back my life. And I discovered real estate back in 2003 and decided that's what I want to do. And then I didn't really get started. Like, what does it take to be in real estate? Well, you have to buy your first piece of real estate or somehow do a transaction. And so until you do that, you're just talking, right? You're all talk. And so I was all talk for five years. It took me five years to go from, I want to do this to having the nerve to actually do it. And so most people get stuck in that phase where they know they don't like what they're doing now. They don't like their job or whatever. And they sort of have some idea what they might have to do to get out. 
but they just don't do it because either they're scared or they tell themselves they don't have time, whatever. But I did that. I was in that place until I just got to the point where going to work one more day without doing something to try to get out of it was more painful than the thought of actually taking a chance and failing, right? Because everyone's afraid of failure. I was afraid of it. But at some point, failure was going to be less painful than just doing the same thing every single day. And so I started taking action. And it was a side hustle for me. I wasn't doing it full time. I was trying to sort of spin up my real estate company while I was working full time at a job that was very demanding. And to be honest, I wasn't doing enough. I sort of wasn't flapping my wings hard enough to get off the ground. I was flapping my wings, but I wasn't really getting off the ground. I was doing deals here and there and making a little bit of money, but it was nothing remarkable. And so I bought my first piece of real estate as a flip property in 2008. And so I always say, that's when my company was conceived in 2008. It wasn't really born until about 2013. And the reason and the significance of 2013, I had an incident one day at my work at my nine to five, where we were, I was a project manager in an automotive and setting, and we built seats for the big three. And we were behind on a project and we had been there all week, well after closing time. Everyone goes home at five. We were there eight, nine o'clock at night, working away every single night. And it was Friday and we'd been there all week. And the client was in the building that night because they were really upset that this project wasn't on time. And the client walked up to me and said, why are we so far behind? And I gave them an honest accounting of why we were behind. And some of it was definitely our fault. But this was a client where they provided a lot of the engineering specs and a lot of the stuff that we needed to do the job. And there were some errors in their work, too. And so I said, this is what's happening. We did this was on us. This was some stuff we got from you that caused some delays. And I just gave an honest accounting. And he took a step forward, got right up into my face and said, you are a blank liar. Like you are a F-bomb liar, right? And I was like, wow, like I'm here with my crew. We're working our butts off. We haven't seen our wives and kids for the whole week. And we're trying our best to get this ship straight. And all you have to say is that I'm a liar. And I wasn't lying. And so I took a minute to cool down, went to talk to my supervisor who happened to be there. And I said, Keith, what are we doing? Like, it's nine o'clock at night. It's a Friday. These guys are burnt out. The client is accusing us of lying. Like, we're not really productive at this point, right? There's a point in your day where you haven't gotten enough sleep. You're just not productive. It's nine o'clock at night on a Friday. Like, we need to go home. And he looked at me and he goes, you know what? You need to get your priorities straight. And I was like, wow. And this was a supervisor I really liked. I thought he was a really good guy. He goes, you need to get your priorities straight. And I said, you know what? You're right. And I walked out of his office and he thought I was conceding that he was correct. But really what I was saying was, you're right. My priorities are my wife and kids and my mental health. Like I don't want to be here anymore. And so that night I decided this little side hustle real estate that I was doing was going to be my escape plan for this company. I was going to absolutely start focusing on it and taking it more seriously. And that was going to be my way out. And a year later, I quit my job. A year after that, I went from about a $200,000 business to a million dollar business. And I haven't looked back since. And, and honestly, in that year that I made a million dollars in profits, that million dollars, I went back and calculated it, was more money than I had made in the last 20 years working for somebody else. 
and I did it in a year. And so that was sort of like my ticket out. And it was my proof of concept that I can do this. And honestly, once I started focusing and I, be, I started working for myself, I realized this is really what I was meant to do. I was not a good employee. I was opinionated. I was pigheaded. I had better ideas. I wasn't the best. And so I need to be kind of calling my own shots. I need to be hunting for what I eat. I can't wait for someone to bring it to me like I was before. And I would be the worst employee now. I can't even imagine being employed now. It's not even that I don't want to. I don't. But I would be awful. Like I would have to run the company or I would have to be fired. There's no in between for me anymore. That's a great story. I have a few questions. When you're talking about you found real estate in the 2003, and I know you didn't really transact until 2008, but how? what do you mean you found real estate? How did you find it? And why did you decide real estate was the place to be? It's a really good question. So I was in working this nine to five that I knew I didn't like. And I started to get a little bit panicky, like, oh, crap. Like at the time I was 33 and I was like, I, I am really scared that I'm going to have to do this for the next 20 years, what I'm doing. I'm not happy. And when I sort of looked at my finances, I realized I would have to like work until I was 100. Like I'm never going to be able to retire. I don't make enough. And with cost of living and everything. And so I started, I went on the internet. I went on Google, like most people do. And I think back then it was Yahoo, actually, but I went on Yahoo. I started typing in search queries like how to invest for retirement and where to invest funds and how do I invest better and all these things. And so the things that came up organically were people teaching you how to invest in the stock market. And so I was like, okay, day trading back then was a hot thing. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to learn about the stock market thing and I'm going to make my money in the stock market. And as I dove into that world and started trying to educate myself, I was so bored. It was painfully, it was like reading insurance manuals to me. I just could not get into it. Next thing you know, I'm looking up stock and how to trade stocks and what does this all mean? And then an hour later, if you looked at my screen, it's like, well, you're looking at ESPN, you're reading box scores. Like, what are you doing? Because I got so bored, I kept drifting. But if you search investing, investing for retirement, how do people invest successfully? If you go far enough down, you'll start seeing real estate as what people are talking about. And once I stumbled on that, I went low enough in the Yahoo search to find real estate. I started finding these websites. And back then, there were a lot of websites and things where people would tell success stories. And so I just became a success story junkie in real estate. And I'm reading about all these people, how they did it, what they did. And I realized I would lose myself for hours in real estate and how people created successful companies and how do you invest in real estate. I never got tired of it. I was insatiable for that content. And so I just kept going down that rabbit hole. And I decided 2003, like, yes, this is me. This all sounds great. This is exactly what I want to do. But fear, people's natural tendency to not do something that's going to hurt themselves, kept me from being in the game. And I regret it. I've actually done the math and went back and said, if I had actually started in 2003, like I did in 2008, how much farther ahead would I be? How much money did I leave on the table by waiting for five years? And I know the number. It's $3.1 million. That's what I left on the table by not getting started sooner. Assuming there's still going to be a ramp up. I'm not going to know everything right at the beginning. But still, if I had started five years earlier, that's an approximation of what I probably have left on the table conservatively. And so time costs, man. There's a value and a cost to time and opportunity costs. So if I'd started, it'd be much better. But that's how I found real estate. I was looking for anything. I had to scroll past the stock market and stocks. I couldn't bear the thought of doing that because it was painfully boring to me. And as I kept scrolling for what else, real estate started showing up and I was hooked. That's great. It reminds me, when's the best time to plant a tree? 
well, it's 30 years ago. And if you didn't do it 30 years ago, it's now. I think that's what a lot of people need to do with this real estate is you got to take action. And so that flows nicely into my next question. You said you were stuck for five years, right? From 2003 to 2008. And it was failure seemed less painful than going to work again. And that was what got you unstuck. But can you talk a little bit more? Because I think so many people are stuck. They know what they want to do, but taking that first step is the hardest. That's the zero to one thing, right? But once you've taken that first step, all the others are easier. So aside from just the finally figuring out that failure was less painful than doing what you continue to do, how did you get unstuck? How did you like, all right, I'm going to jump into this first one. Well, Part of the reason I was able to procrastinate and make excuses and be afraid, the reason was nobody knew what I wanted to do. I didn't tell anybody that I wanted to do real estate, kept it to myself, right? And so there was no accountability at all. When I woke up next day, five days later, a year later, and I hadn't done anything, there was nobody saying, hey, what about this real estate thing? Have you got started? What are you doing? Tell me about it. Like nobody was holding me accountable, not even my wife. And so it's easy to procrastinate or live in fear when you do it in silence. It's not easy, but it's, it doesn't push you to do anything because there's nobody knows, right? So these people who go on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok, and they make these New Year's resolution videos, you may or may not be the person who likes putting yourself out there like that. But the actual value of doing that is there's something that happens inside of you when you announce your intentions to the world it becomes much harder to ignore them and not do it, right? You want to get in shape and lose 30 pounds by the end of the year? Tell everyone you know, put it on social media, tell your friends, tell your friend who will razz you and harass you every time they see you if you haven't lost any weight yet, right? The person who will try to humiliate you, who will like give you a hard time, they'll laugh at you, tell that person. Because there's nothing more motivating than avoiding that, right? We all want to avoid embarrassment. We want to avoid shame. Well, put yourself out there. So that was one thing. I didn't tell anybody what I wanted to do. One of the other things was most people hide behind education. And by that, I mean, they say to themselves, I want to be a real estate investor, but I'm responsible. I'm going to do my due diligence and I'm going to read books and I'm going to educate myself because I don't want to lose money. And that's the prudent thing to do. And that's true. To an extent, you need to understand what you're doing to an extent, but you can use that excuse indefinitely, right? Year later, have you done anything yet? No, but listen, man, this is real estate. So a lot of money being transacted. I don't want to lose money. I had the seminar I'm going to go to in six months, and that's going to be really helpful for me. And you can do that forever. And I did it for five years. I told myself I was educating myself and I hid behind that excuse to, in my own brain. I hid behind that excuse for years that I was educating myself. I was procrastinating. The fact of the matter is in real estate, there is a lot at stake, but you don't have to know how to get from A to Z. You know how to, you need to know how to get from A to B. And when you get to B, you need to know how to get to C. And when you get to C, you know how to get to D, right? You just need to know the next step or two. You don't have to understand the entire thing. I still don't entire understand all of real estate investing, right? Somebody tells me they're investing in notes. I understand at a high level, conceptually, I get it. I don't invest in notes. So I don't know that world. I don't need to know that world until I'm getting ready to invest in notes. But what I found myself doing, and I think people do, I got a book on flipping. I got a book on rentals. I got a book on wholesaling, right? Pretty soon, I'm trying to learn every aspect of real estate. And you can't learn anything really effectively that way. You kind of focus, pick something, laser focus on it, nail it, and scale it. Yeah, that, that's great advice. Because I think what happens is if you pick something, you might find out 
it's not for you or it is like I started the same way as you. I flipped a house and we made hundreds of dollars, right? We joke about that because when you flip a house, if you're making hundreds of dollars, you're losing a bunch of money, right? And so we figured out that's not for us. And then we went to rentals and we did okay and got better and better. And then we finally found, okay, real estate syndications, passive investing, that's where my strength is. And so I'm all in, but it took me a while to find that. And the other thing that you mentioned is about losing money, right? Which is people that are investing in the stock market, they don't really think twice when the value drops 25%. They still think, well, it's still the safest place to be, right? But when a real estate syndication stops sending distributions, people act like the world is ending because they're not getting the income from their investment. You might not get all your distributions. You might lose money in real estate occasionally. So can you talk about the difference and how people view that? You know why I think people have more faith or they get less nervous about the stock market because their dad did it, their grandfather did it. It's been around forever. It's sort of like this thing that everyone knows it exists. And so because it's been around forever and it's really all anyone thinks about who isn't in real estate. When I wasn't in real estate, when I thought about investing, I didn't even know there was other categories other than the stock market, right? So it's what's known. It's sort of like when you go to sell your house, you know this, I'm sure I know this, a lot of your listeners know this. If I were going to buy a property, a rental property, if I wanted to sell it, the likelihood of me using a realtor is pretty low, or at least a traditional use, right? Maybe like a flat fee listing or something, because real estate is demystified for us. It's not this scary black box that we don't understand, but most people just go to a realtor and half the time, it's a part-time realtor who doesn't really know it. And they're putting it on the MLS. And that's pretty much all they're doing. But that's what they know. That's all they know. Or when they want to sell their house, what do they do? They go to a realtor. They don't realize that there are these people like you and I who will buy it off market. And it's absolutely safe. And you don't have to pay a realtor commission if you just want to sell your house necessarily. And so the stock market is this known commodity. It's been around forever. Wall Street, and you kind of know where that is. Like It's just, it's all people know. But real estate, you're right. First of all, a multifamily building will not vaporize into thin air like a stock can, right? Your stock that you're investing in is like you're investing in an idea. You're investing in a concept, right? That idea can just disappear tomorrow, theoretically. Large apartment buildings will not disappear tomorrow. It could go down in value a little bit. But we know if you look at in the micro sense, you look at real estate, whether it's single family, multifamily, in the micro sense, it goes up and down and up and down. But when you pan out and look at it in terms of decades, it's always going up. It's like, are you looking at the little bumps along the way? Or are you panning out and seeing the 45 degree angle that it's going up in value? So in the long term, it's going to go up in value for sure. If you're buying and selling real estate on a daily basis, yeah, you have to be careful. It goes up and down, but it never disappears, right? We're not in the multiverse where things just happen in weird ways. It's like a house that's sitting there will be sitting there tomorrow too, right? May go up in value, may go down, but it's still sitting there. It's tangible. It's so much safer than the stock market. You know this. I know this, right? People ask me all the time, like, where do you invest? Like, real estate. And they're like, we don't invest in the stock market. No, I really don't. And you can for diversification purposes if you want. But if I have to put all my chips on something, it sure as shooting is not going to be the real, it's not going to be the stock market. It's going to be real estate. Yeah, I'm all in there with you as well. So talking about real estate, then you said you started with a flip. What happened next? What's your focus now? And how did you get there? Started with flipping. Again, it's all I knew. I didn't know there was anything else. I mean, I know there's intellectually, I understand people hold rentals, but my thought was I don't have the money to buy a rental. I don't have that kind of money, right? So did my first flip. It went okay. I ended up making $15,000. It was great on a $40,000 house, right? So 
pretty good. I actually made a ton of mistakes. I had contractors take money and not do work and all that. I had a contractor lien, a mechanical lien be put against my house because my general contractor didn't pay the subcontractor. All the things that newbies do. Did it all, made $15,000. It was great. And that's the direction I was going. But I was running my business pretty poorly in that I had some key failure modes. I had some keystones that weren't 100% of my control. I had one contractor that I counted on to do everything after that first one when he sort of didn't do a good job. I found another one. He did all my work and I had a realtor that gave me all my ARVs and values and sold it for me. Like he had a lot of control. Those two people had a lot of control over my success and failure. And on one particular project, my contractor kind of flaked, stopped showing up, started overcharging me and I had to let him go. And then my realtor made some really bad estimations on the value of a house that I was working at and I lost money on that house. I had to let him go. And I was like, wait, I don't have anyone to operate. I don't know how to get values. I don't know how to do any of the work. But I had leads coming in still. I still had opportunities to buy. And I found a house. I got under contract. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't have a contractor. I don't have a realtor. So I called a friend of mine who I knew was also flipping houses. And I said, hey, man, I got this deal. I told him about it. I said, if you want it for $110,000, you can have it. Now, I had it under contract for ninety five. dollars I said, for $110,000, you can do it. And he goes, give me 10 minutes. Let me run some numbers. Came back to me. He goes, yeah, I can do 110. That's great. That's good. I wholesaled it to him before I even knew what wholesaling was. I wholesaled it to him, made $15,000. Well, $15,000 at that time was kind of on the low end or maybe even close to the middle of the road on a flip, what I could expect to make on a flip. And here in Michigan, in that time, when I was doing it, I was making... Fifteen dollars to $25,000 on a flip, right? So I was kind of on the low end of, a, of an actual flip and it took me two weeks to get the money and I didn't do any work. I was like, I like this. Got another property under contract in the same area for the same price. Got under contract for ninety five. dollars Called the guy and said, I have another one just like the one you just bought. You can have it for one ten. He goes, give me five minutes. Did his work, came back. He goes, I'll take it. Sold that one to him in, fifth, in two weeks. I made $30,000 in a month. I had never done that before. So I was like, well... This is my new life. I love this a lot. This is a lot of fun for me. So I started wholesaling. I built a a big wholesaling business. Now, our business now is kind of split 50-50. Half of what we do is wholesaling. The other half of what we do is owner finance, but not owner finance from seller to us. We actually find properties through our wholesaling process, right? We identify properties. Some of them are just better for wholesale. Some of them though, we buy them. We raise private money. We buy the property outright, and then we owner finance them. We call it land contract here in Michigan, but we owner finance them to buyers who either can't or don't want to buy with a mortgage. And so we play the bank and we hold these as passive investments, kind of like a rental, but without the hassles of repairing toilets and dealing with leaky roofs. Like They have ownership. They own the property. We're just playing the bank and we hold the note. And we've been doing that now for about a year. And we have about 25 of those. And our goal this year is to get up to 75. So we want 50 more this year. And what that does for us is we run a whole, we traditionally run a wholesaling company, but that's a very active business, right? You have ups and downs and sometimes your marketing produces well, and sometimes it doesn't and all these things. And so rather than be on this roller coaster, we're building this passive portfolio So that covers our base. It pays all our people. It pays for marketing. It handles all the bills. And then wholesaling kind of sits on top of that as icing on the cake. It's all pure profit at that point. So that's kind of our direction now. Whereas we were pure wholesalers for seven years, we're 50-50 wholesale and passive. 
And how did you find, because that's awesome to find a, a more passive way to cover your expenses. And then so the wholesaling is just, as you said, it's just the bonus, right? It's just all the profits. So how did you think of, oh, hold on a second. My wholesaling business is totally transactional and it's like flipping. You got to, once that deal's done, you got to go find a new one or you're not having any income. How did you figure out, okay, I'll go passive, but this is the way to go passive because you're still doing the wholesale thing, right? But you find a property and you can decide which bucket it fits in. It's really a great plan, but how did you come up with that idea? Yeah, the wholesaling side of it is basically our lead gen and sales side, right? And to answer your question very honestly, I interviewed someone on my podcast who had this exact model and he's got like 300 of these things. And his passive monthly income is just off the charts. It's just stupid money. At that point, when I interviewed him, I had about 25 rentals, like traditional rentals. And it was okay. I had a management company, but I made mistakes. And sometimes when you buy rentals and it's the first time buying them, you don't know what you don't know. And all the things I didn't know about how to properly buy, renovate, and manage rentals started to come back to bite me like five years later. And so when I was talking to this guy who kind of laid out the model that I'm using now, I was in the process of some of these deferred maintenance, things that I bought in wrong places. I didn't do the right renovation sometimes when I bought these rentals. All these costs and all these expenses were starting to unfold. And I was starting to have all these calls from my management company. And I was a little bit stressed. And he laid out this model. And I was like, this is beautiful. Like This is everything good about renting and none of the bad stuff, really. And so it was a guy that I interviewed on my podcast, just like I interviewed you. And I, matter of fact, this morning, I was DMing with somebody and they're like, the podcast you had on with the passive guy, that was perfect timing for me because I want to get into passive investing. As soon as I retire, I'm going to retire this year. Like That was a great interview and it was super timely. So same thing. I found a guy and through the interview, I was like, so then during the interview, I do what you probably do too. You hear something that's interesting and you just become selfish and go, I want to know more about this. And you just start asking questions, which is great because your audience is thinking the same thing. And I just did that. I just started asking that questions as if I wanted him to explain his whole model so I could do it. And then I did. And then I eventually hired the guy to come back and like kind of flesh out, put it, fill in some of the gaps of things that didn't make sense to me. And we started running that model and it works great. And there's a lot of people like what's great about it too, other than not getting calls for repairs and things is in a market like ours where interest rates are going up and values are going down. We have a, we're creating a very strong buyers list of people who want to buy on terms because they don't have the credit or they don't want to use a bank for whatever reason. And a lot of times these are like people who work for companies that pay them in cash or maybe they're an entrepreneur and so they don't have great income verification, but they have big down payments and they have a great history of paying the rent that they've been paying, but they just don't want to get a mortgage for whatever reason. There's a lot of people out there like that. And so as banks start tightening up their lending policies and things like that, we're getting more and more people coming to us. We have a huge community of people that are waiting for our next property. So when we get a property that we want to sell on terms, it's almost a bidding war more than it is begging people to buy it. 
Madison Investing is on a mission to democratize passive investing and make private real estate syndications and funds accessible to all accredited investors. To do so, Madison Investing developed Blueprint, a seven-part course that educates investors on how to develop an effective passive real estate investment strategy. Learn how syndications and funds offer investors a way to own a part of multifamily properties, self-storage businesses, and other asset classes with limited liability and potential for regular distributions while achieving strong ROI. For a limited time, Madison Investing is offering our listeners Blueprint for free at madisoninvesting.com slash blueprint. Madison Investing CEO Spencer Hillegas is a registered representative of Finalis Securities LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC. Investing in real estate while capable of producing attractive returns entails a high degree of risk, including illiquidity of the investment and loss of principal. Self-storage has been one of the fastest growing real estate sectors for four decades straight. With inflation on the rise, it may be the hedge you're looking for. Spartan Investment Group identifies low-risk, value-add investment opportunities in commercial real estate. Their private debt and equity opportunities offer stable monthly payments and predictable returns. And since they put every investment through a 700-plus point due diligence checklist, you can invest with confidence. To learn more, visit spartan-investors.com. I was going to ask you how you find your buyers, but it looks like they're finding you. So the difference then, I guess, between the wholesale and the ones you sell, the wholesale, you don't have to do much to them. So are you rehabbing and fixing up all these properties before you sell them to the new owners? Sometimes. If they're not livable, certainly we're rehabbing them. If they're in good shape, but just dated, a lot of times we're not because we're also not selling them at full value. So we're selling them under value. They're getting instant equity. And they can do that sweat equity themselves and save a little bit of money. So the move is typically, if this house is just a dumpster fire, we got to go in there and fix it up. We got to make it right and make sure it's livable. If it's in good shape, but it was like grandma's house, it hasn't been updated since the 80s or early 90s, but everything works and it's clean and sanitary and the heater works and all that, then usually we're not doing anything to it at all. And people are excited to go in there and be able to do some of the work themselves and have instant equity. These mortgages, are you doing 30-year notes or is it shorter-term notes, higher interest than the market? What's the, what is that side of it like? It's a 30-year amortization with a five-year balloon, and we are higher than market. We're usually around 10 or 11% interest, which sounded outrageous when we were at 3% than in normally. But now that interest rates are going up, it's not that big of a deal. But we make sure that they're not paying more than they would be paying for rent in that neighborhood, right? So for the same price as rent, they can actually own the house and work toward homeowner. I mean, they own it from day one, but like the idea is that they're going to pay, they're going to refi and get a, lower their interest rate. So that's the goal. I mean, what happens at the five-year mark? They're not going to have the cash probably to pay for that. So is that when they go to a traditional bank? Yeah, they go to a traditional bank at that point. At some point, the goal is that they're going to refi out of it. But if they don't, we're going to probably extend them for another couple of years until they can get it together. And that's fine. It's a good problem to have, right? But if they cash out, it's great. We'll take that money and rinse and repeat. But the idea for us is we know for our business, we need to get up to about 150 of these eventually. So over the next two or three years, we'll hit our goal of being 100% self-sufficient on passive income. And these things will pop every once in a while and we'll get a little influx of cash. We'll go out and buy more and just keep moving along. And you fund your business through investors. Are those equity partners or are they like private lenders? Private lenders. Yep. We're borrowing money at 7 8%. And we're loaning out at, or we're owner financing at 11. So there's a little bit of arbitrage there. We're selling it for more than we bought it for in most cases because we're buying, we have a wholesaling arm. So we know how to buy it 40 or 50 cents on the dollar. We're selling it at 70 or 80 cents on the dollar. And there's a little arbitrage there with the interest. 
Has the private lending market, has that changed at all with these interest rates rising? Are those, is private money getting more expensive or are they just kind of holding? Because it seems like for me, I do a little bit of private lending and I haven't been able to push my rates hardly at all. It's the interest rates have gone up and I'm still at the same spot I was three years ago, pretty much. I guess it depends on what spot you were at three years ago. If you were charging 50% three years ago, yes, it's hard to go higher. If you were charging 6% three years ago, you should absolutely be getting more. The answer to your question is, it depends on who I'm borrowing the money from. If they're in the real estate world and understand real estate, the rates are going to be typically higher. Honestly, I prefer to borrow money from high net worth individuals who are not in real estate, who think that 7% is amazing to get that month in, month out, year in, year out without any fluctuation, right? Because the fact of the matter is, even private lenders who want to charge 10, if you're going to charge 10%, and let's just say you're loaning to fix and flip people, right? You're doing private lending, fix and flip, you're charging 10%, but your money's only working eight months out of the year or nine months out of the year because somebody uses it, they pay it back, takes you two or three months to figure out who you're going to lend it to again. And by the time you do it, it's another, you're not making 10%, you're making 7% or 8%, right? Like you're not making 10%. And so somebody like that, who doesn't want the hassles of the money coming going back and paperwork and underwriting and all this stuff, wiring and all this stuff, just I'll give you 7% in perpetuity, right? Just lend us your money. There'll be no back and forth. And then you don't have to worry about it. And it is a good option if you think of it that way, right? But they go, oh, I want 10% and I loan 10%. Yeah. How many months out of the year on average is it actually working? Nine, 10, if you're lucky, you're making 8% or 9%. You're not making 10. So those are the folks I like. If it could be something in real estate, that's who I want to do it from. I want to borrow from. Otherwise, borrowing from like a dentist or a lawyer. I have a lawyer friend who loans me money at 7%. He's ecstatic. He just thinks he is killing it, right? And he is. He's doing great. He is. He doesn't want to learn real estate. He doesn't want to understand that industry to the extent that he could get a few more percentages. He doesn't have time for it. So he wants to be in real estate. He gets it. And he understands the value. And it's, it's tangible, like we talked about earlier. So it's not a hope and a prayer. But he doesn't want to learn it. I give him 7%. He is tickled pink. So those are the folks that are really great to borrow from. I want to pivot a little bit. I know you coach and mentor. And in our community, Left Field Investors, we do sometimes get people who are like, hey, can you coach me? And I'm never sure exactly how coaching works or how that operates, especially when it's a passive thing. It's more like, well, here's we're giving you all of the coaching you need just on our website and through podcasts and stuff. So can you talk about your coaching and mentorship and how that can help passive investors who are either lending private money or they're investing in syndications and other types of passive investments? For sure. I will say this before we get too far, because it's relevant to what you're asking me right now. I have created a landing page for your group. And so the reason I made it is I want to give them a downloadable version of my book. It's called Level Jumping. And it's incredibly relevant to your audience because it's not about the nuts and bolts of investing so much. It's more about how I turned it into an actual business, right? How do you take this little thing you're doing and systemize it and create an actual business out of it so that you can be free of your job? And that's really when I said I went from like $200,000 revenue to a million, I outlined in my book how I did that. And so if people go to who are listening, go to mikesimmons.com forward slash left field, all one word, you can get a download version of my book. Okay, so that's one thing. But how can they benefit from coaching? Everybody in real estate, including your folks, need to find deals, right? And if they're doing something with multifamily, I'm probably not going to be as helpful for them because I'm not in that space. But if they're on any level buying single family or even small multifamily, triplex, a quad or whatever, what my real estate wholesaling company is, 
it's all it is a marketing and sales company. It's all it is. It happens to be real estate that we're marketing to and buying, but you really need to understand the marketing and sales arm of the business. How do I find these owner finance deals? I lean on my wholesaling company, the expertise of the people in that company to kick up these deals for me so I can make a decision if I'm going to wholesale them or make them a passive investment for me. And so my program is really designed for wholesalers, but 75% of it is relevant to anybody. Anybody who's trying to find deals, negotiate a price with a seller, and get those things under contract in the most efficient, cost-effective way, my course is going to be incredibly successful for you. You don't have to necessarily listen to or care about the part where I actually wholesale it out, but that's the very end. Everything, 75% of it is relevant to all investors, right? We all want to find better deals, cheaper at a better price and be able to turn these things around and use them for whatever we want. And so that's one reason I think for coaching to your point, I believe you're right. Your website and your podcast tells everybody everything they need to know to be successful. I know when I was getting started, I had a mentor. He didn't do it for me. He just gave me some basic stuff and I ran with it. Some people need that warm blanket over them where there's somebody who's going to answer their specific question about their specific circumstance. And so that's a lot of times what coaching is. It's just giving people that confidence that somebody is there. There's somebody on their team or in their corner who's going to answer a question for them if they get really panicky and don't know what to do. And so with my course, it's video related. I do, I actually do training, but then there's a Q&A portion where literally you can ask me anything, right? I'll do training, but if my training, if you feel like there's something very unique that you're dealing with, we can have a conversation about that. The fact of the matter is there's very little unique things that happen in real estate. It's just people think they're unique because they've never heard it before, but that's what we do. My goal is to teach people, demystify, but more than demystify, I want to systemize and streamline what they're doing because I think a lot of people, the reason why they can't get out of their job, this is why I couldn't get out of it. I was treating my business like a popsicle stand at the end of my driveway. I just had no processes, no systems. I hadn't hired anybody. I wasn't tracking KPIs, nothing, right? And I was expecting these wonderful results, but I was treating it like some lemonade stand. I wasn't really running a business. And so my book and my coaching, really what it does is it teaches the fundamentals, but more importantly, it teaches you how to create a system and a process and a business that allows you to step back and it still runs. I'm buying and selling houses. We did a million dollars last year. I swear to you, I went into maybe three houses and it was only because my sales guy got sick or my dispo guy was just flummoxed on what the renovation could be or should be. And so I would go, ah, I'm going to be in the area. I'll stop by. I could go a whole year without ever walking into a house or negotiating with a buyer or a seller because I've created systems around my business. Yeah, that's great. That's great stuff because no matter what you're doing, even if you're like I am a passive investor, if you put all that stuff around it, so you're running it like a business, then it actually becomes something that you're not just kind of doing willy nilly because now you're making plans and you're targeting and you're having goals and all that. And I think that just makes a huge difference in overall, just treating it like a business makes it become a business. Totally. I'll make this controversial comment on your podcast. Here you go. You ready? Wholesaling can be passive. Can be. I just told you, and I'm not lying. I swear you can talk to my whole team. They would probably roll their eyes and go, yeah, he definitely doesn't get involved in our business. Like He definitely doesn't get involved. Sometimes they want me more involved than I am. I'm not in the day-to-day -day of my business. It produces seven figures in profits, by the way. I'm not talking about some BS top line revenue sales that we know is kind of dumb. 
it creates a million dollars in profits and I'm not in it. It's passive. Now it is transactional. And so if you say, ah, but you said you do this other thing, right? Because it is transactional. You are correct. The houses that we wholesale this month are not helping us next month. We need to go find more property. So we have to continuously hunt, but it's passive. I run a passive wholesaling company. And that is, people would argue with me that it's not passive. My time in it will tell you it's passive. I spend an hour a week in my business. I sit on one meeting a week and I don't even need to be in that meeting. I just do it because it seems really reckless to not be in that meeting. But one hour a week and I run a million dollar business. If that's not passive, I don't know what is. It's not traditionally passive. It's not what people think of. But it's because people run wholesaling companies like a lemonade stand. They don't take it seriously, hire and train and create processes and systems around it and accountability and KPIs. If you do that, right? I mean, Steve Jobs, when he was running Apple, I get it. He worked all the time. He wasn't making anything, right? He wasn't working in the business. He was above it. And so he could go away for a month and it would run fine, right? It was passive, but he would love it and he was in it. I love it, but I'm running a flipping, I'm sorry, not a flipping business, a lending business a short-term rental business. I have my podcast. Like I have other things that I'm doing. I'm not in my real estate business all the time. That's great. That's the way you want to set it up. And that's it really hits home because that's what we're trying to do with Left Field Investors this year is put all those systems in place because we've been running several lemonade stands from our driveway. And it's just, you're always running from one thing to the next. And you're right. You can't get away from it until you put systems in place that handle everything. So that's awesome. And the last question I always ask is, what is a great podcast that you listen to and just start real estate does not count? That's going in the show notes anyways. But if you're a podcast person, what's one you would recommend? I don't know if you're implying that it has to be real estate, but okay, good. I'll tell you, I don't listen to a lot of real estate podcasts. I'm in real estate 24-7. Sometimes my brain needs a break from real estate. And a podcast that I listen to religiously, I found it probably six, eight months ago, and I listen to it religiously. And it honestly, it inspires me a lot, even in my real estate business, even though it has nothing to do with real estate. It just opens my mind a little bit more. Sometimes we all tend to get like a little bit small thinking and we start getting into this like little bubble world that we're in. This opens up my mind constantly. And it's a very popular podcast, but it's called My First Million. And it's hosted by two guys. They're tech millionaires. They have nothing to really to do with real estate at all. Matter of fact, they sometimes sort of goof on real estate. And they have said that real estate investors are like the dumbest rich people in the world. But it's very entertaining. And it's very eye-opening and mind-expanding. And so I love it. It's called My First Million. Awesome. I'll put that in the show notes. And then if listeners want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? They can go to MikeSimmons.com and they can just contact me there for sure. There's another thing I have. I'll give this away to your folks too if they're interested. They can get my book, obviously, by going to MikeSimmons.com forward slash left field. But if they go to winningdirectmail.com, I created a five video series on how I do direct mailing. And by the way, direct mail has been responsible for 80% of the money that I've made in the last seven years. And so I break down from A to Z exactly how I do my direct mail so that other people can emulate that and get similar results. And it's all free. It's There's no charge. So winning direct mail, they can have that and get me there too. Or you can just find me on Facebook and DM me and say, hey, I heard you on the podcast, loved it, whatever, and we can have a conversation. Awesome. Thank you very much for being on the podcast. We really enjoyed it. It was an interesting topic and we're thankful that you shared your time with us today. Great. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Hi, this is Zach Haptonstall, CEO and co-founder of Rise48 Equity. 
At Rise48, we partner with investors like you to purchase large apartment buildings that we renovate to increase the value and create a profit margin for our investors through monthly passive cash flow distributions and profits on sale. We're a vertically integrated company specializing in the Phoenix, Arizona, and Dallas, Texas markets with over 200-plus full-time W-2 employees who are focused on making sure your investment is taken care of. To learn more about Rise48 Equities Multifamily Investments, Schedule a call with me at rise48equity.com backslash invest. Do you love coffee? Have you ever wanted to invest directly in the coffee industry? You can invest now in the number one largest coffee producer in the country of Colombia, the Green Coffee Company. Headquartered in the U.S., they are now Colombia's largest coffee producer and have opened their $100 million Series C funding round to accredited investors. The Green Coffee Company has over 7 million coffee trees and is on track for a 2026 sale or IPO projecting an 11x ROI for investors. Discounts are available for early funding, but there's limited capacity available. To invest, visit legacy-group.co and click the Current Offerings tab. That's the Current Offerings tab at legacy-group.co. That was definitely a different episode than we normally have, which is fantastic. I love a lot of the mindset stuff and a different approach to doing business, the wholesaling to the selling the properties. I thought that was really fascinating. But a couple of things he said, he was at a point where failing at real estate seemed less painful than doing the same thing over and over in his job because he just wasn't happy in his job. And that really resonated with me because I always told myself, that if I was ever working a job and I just hated going in every morning, that I would quit. And I actually did that with my first job after 12 years. I quit on April 1st, which I don't recommend that because people think you're playing a joke on them. But I haven't been back since, so I think they finally figured it out after almost 20 years. But So that was really powerful for me. Failure was less painful, so it finally got him to take action. And that's the key, right? You got to take action. And he didn't say this exactly, but the value of time, and you need to use it wisely and he was talking about that you really need to think about what you're doing put a value on it and just take some action and go for it the other thing he mentioned was accountability and i was thinking about things as he said it is if you're going to do something and you really want to do it it's helpful to announce it to the world it's scary to announce it to the world but it's helpful because if you say hey world i'm going to lose 10 pounds and the next time they see you you've gained 10 pounds but you're going to feel like oh i didn't get done what i said and so i think getting it out and not just keeping it in internally when you have a goal whether it's real estate or health or finances whatever it is it's helpful to share that with people that can help you be accountable and not necessarily in a in a bad way but just an accountable which can get you unstuck it can get you to start and you got to start somewhere you got to take action that is critical And he also talked about you want to be the one that is in control of your own success. That's also why entrepreneurship is so popular, I think, within our group and these additional income streams and creating your own businesses. It's giving you operational control over your success. It's allowing you to make the decisions and you to be successful because you chose to. And that kind of goes into how he ended it was making your business, your passive investing or whatever it is, turn it into a business. And that's what we're finding with LFI. And that's what I'm finding with my own personal passive investing is the more I can systematize and put things in places. So I'm running it like a business 
the less time it takes because now I can assign other people tasks and have them do them. And then I'm kind of being the one that is doing, they call it the $200 an hour tasks and farming out the $10 an hour tasks. So I think that was pretty powerful is to make it into a business. So you really are understanding what you're doing and putting procedures in place so you can be more successful. So fascinating podcast. Really appreciate Mike being on. And we will, as always, we'll keep an eye on him and see what else he gets into because he's definitely a, got a lot of interesting thoughts and ideas. So that's it for this time. We'll see you next time in the left field. Thanks for hanging out in left field with us today. If you're interested in becoming a left fielder, you can find us on the World Wide Web at www.leftfieldinvestors.com or you can send me an email, jim at leftfieldinvestors.com. Thank you for listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. If you enjoy the show, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and review the show. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing said on the show should be considered financial advice. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Passive Investing from Left Field and Left Field Investors. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.